At Riverbank, we believe you can heal, grow, and fulfill God's plans for your life as the power of God touches you through this prophetic teaching by Pastor Dominion. Get excited and hop into it. This morning and this month, we're starting a series titled Rest in the Father's Love. Say rest, rest. in the Father's Love. Say to your neighbor, rest. No, no, no. Tell your neighbor, rest in the Father's love. And this is an important aspect of um, the Christian experience. And it's something that many of us understand in the natural. Oh, my goodness. I say it's what? Something that many of us understand in the Where you are able to rest assured that your father will take care of you. Where you are able to spend the money in your account, rest assured that next month, without having a nine-to-five, money would come into your account. And even people that do not have the privilege of having a dad that can take care of them in the natural, have improvised. When your dad is a bitter one, they go for sugar daddy. Someone that takes care of them. Praise the name of the Lord. But when it comes to our experience with God, we think differently of him. Even though we call him father, we don't seem to derive any benefits from him being our dad. For us, it's another name for God, like Jaira, like Rafa, like Nisi. But not a position with responsibilities. And it's it, it impact on how we pray. It's impact on our theology. It's impact on what we think would happen at the end of the age. That a father would have children. And when you come to collect your children, remember me. What's that? Who exactly did you come to collect that I need to remind you? We know that when the church would leave the earth, there will be destruction, there will be persecution, there will be tribulation, isn't it? At the rapture. And so, think about it. There is a dad that needs to pick his children from a place. And he knows that as soon as parents pick their children up, that place will begin to face turbulence and persecution and destruction, and suffering. And somebody needs to remind their dad to pick them. That's a wicked and an irresponsible father. Wouldn't we say that? So why do we think that our father in heaven is wicked? Why do we think he's wicked and irresponsible? 
And this is what the devil has succeeded in making us do and how he has succeeded in making us feel about God. That he would not remember to pick you when it comes to, for his children. That's wrong. Listen, God is the judge of the world. But guess what? He's your daddy. And do you know what a father does? He looks for innovative ways to save his children. To savage any situation they find themselves. He will tell you, I'm going to fix it. And so, except men are better than God, you have to believe that even though man has sinned, the Bible said God so loved the world. He loved us. He cares about us. He doesn't want anybody to perish. Do you know that's what the Bible says? He loved the world, John 3, 16, that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That's it. That's it. He sent his son for one reason, so that you will not perish. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The only reason you know the story of Jesus is that God sent his son that he would die for the sins of men. And whosoever believes, not whosoever ticks all the boxes and gets everything right. The Bible categorically says, whosoever believes that the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient for all their sins, they say they will not perish. Paul said, God sent his son to die for sinners of whom I'm chief. Meaning, when you heap up everybody's wrongdoing, there's a boss in that list. He sent his son to die for sinners of whom I'm chief. But now because of the grace of God, he is or I am what I am. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God cares about you. God cares about you. He has sent his son to save the punishment for your sins. Our sins are not ever before the face of the Father. You are the one that is remembering what you did last night. You are the one that is remembering what you did last week. Someone said, God has a graciously terrible memory. He can't remember. Let me show you something. Romans chapter 4. I'll read from verse... Please open your Bibles. Are you in church this morning? Romans and chapter 4, verse 3. Let me start from verse 2. Are we in verse 2? Read verse 2 together as loud as you can. Everybody want to go. Exactly. Everybody wants to go. Stop. Can we agree that the word justified means to be made righteous? So, the Bible is telling us 
that if Abraham was made righteous by the things he did, by his works of righteousness, he had something to boast about. He could say, I did this. I did this. He could say that I'm not addicted to this. I did not disobey these commandments. He had something to boast about. Remember that. He says, albeit not before God. Verse 3. He says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And what happened? So, look at it. It's clear in the Bible. That if Abraham had things, how those he had crossed that prove, that qualified him to be called righteous, he would have something to boast about. So, maybe Abraham had things he needed to fix in his life. Do you get what I'm saying? Maybe you have things that you need to handle in your life. Hurdles you need to cross. Habits you need to overcome. And that's fine. Do you get what I'm saying? But the Bible is teaching us something. He says if it is by the things that Abraham had done, he would have an occasion to brag and say this heavenly race. Do you know how I know I'm going to make it? I have stopped stealing. I have stopped smoking. I have stopped drinking. I have stopped womanizing. I have stopped serving idols. But he says no. That's not his testimony. The Bible tells us. You know when we preach like this, some people think this is a New Testament teaching. You know, all these grace preachers. No, this is Genesis. Meaning, from the book of Genesis, God has been justifying people when they believe in him. Do you see what I'm saying? So, he says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, verse 3 says, For him that walks, his wages are not credited as grace, but as debts. Meaning, if I have done all the right things, the reward I get making heaven is not by grace. It's that I deserved it. Verse 5. But to him, oh my God, please read verse 5 so that you don't think I'm coming up with stuff. Verse 5, please read together. Everybody wants to go. Stop. Again. Stop. Again. But to him who does not work. This is in your Bible. People of God. He says, listen, this is not, this is not me trying to, you know, bring up something that is not there. He says, but to him who does not work. Now, of course, what he's saying relates to what he has been saying before. Because he starts his sentence with but. You don't start a sentence with but. Except you've been saying something before, isn't it? Isn't it? So he says, but to him who does not work. But those words. Believes. Can you see that it's everywhere in the Bible? That we trust in the God. Not the God that justifies the godly. Because some people think, okay, you know, when I've done everything that's right, then the blood of Jesus will now help me. 
The Bible says, but to him who does not work, but believes in the God that justifies the ungodly, he says his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Now, is he teaching you that you should go ahead and do all the wrong stuff? No. But he is categorically and telling you without any altar of doubt or confusion that the person that God declares as righteous is somebody that realizes that in and of himself there's nothing he can do that will be sufficient that God will see and say, impressive. Hey! Have you seen Isaiah's righteousness? Jesus! Jesus will now run from the throne and say, what is happening? You say, look at Isaiah's righteousness. You say, Mado. Ah, ah. These people can be righteous? I've never seen this kind of righteousness before. No. Do you care what I'm saying? He's saying, listen to me. He's saying we must realize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because our best act of righteousness is still unrighteousness in the sight of God. You know those lecturers that say A is for God, B is for me. The best of you all will get C. Most of you will get D, E, and Fs. Some of them are trying to be difficult, right? But God isn't trying to be difficult. You know the way you can't get 100% in essay writing, isn't it? Exactly. God isn't, isn't trying to be difficult. You are man. He is God. Do you get what I'm saying? Your best efforts pales in comparison to what he calls righteousness. When you put up your best righteousness... Your best day of righteousness still looks like unrighteousness to him. It's like the richest man in your village trying to brag to Bill Gates that see wealth. Do you know the wealth I command? Do you get what I'm saying? I get it. You are rich. You are a local champion even though you agree or you don't agree. But in the grand scheme of things, when we put riches beside riches your riches beside my riches you are poor you are in abject poverty do you get what i'm saying so it's not that god is just saying you can never reach my righteousness no he's he's so high and exalted the bible says who is like you oh god among gods that is forget human beings gods who is like you you are glorious in holiness. Meaning when we look at holiness, you outclass everybody. You outclass all the gods. So when you come as a human being and you want to brag about holiness because you've tried your best, God looks at it and he says, your righteousness is as filthy rag. Meaning, even if I want to say, okay, you should do your best. It still doesn't meet the cutoff mark. Do you get what I'm saying? Even if you do your best, your best still doesn't meet the cutoff mark. So the only way I can help you now is that I 
do it for you. If I allow you to do this assignment on your own, you will fail. Allow me to do it and mark it for you. That's what God did. He sent his son to die for our sins. The Bible says that we might become the righteousness of God. Praise the name of the Lord. So, because we are now righteous as a gift. In fact, um, Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says it. It says, we've received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Say the gift of righteousness. Say it again, the gift of righteousness. Say one more time, the gift of righteousness. Is, is it projected? Romans 5, okay, all right, 17. It says, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through one. If by one man's offense, who is the one man that offended? Adam. Right? Death reigned through all. He said, much more. I mean, when I read the Bible, I get excited. Because, I mean, because of Adam, we are sinners. But he says, much more. There's something that the devil has done to us that we are always conscious about the magnitude of sin. About the magnitude of our flaws. About the magnitude of trying to please God. But the Bible says that there is something that is much more. He says, much more, those who, have re who receive the abundance of grace. See, abundance of grace. He says, abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. He didn't say those that have attained abundance of grace and gift of righteousness. He said they receive it. Do you get what I'm saying? So we receive righteousness. He calls it the gift. Say the gift. So it's not something you work for. Do you work for gifts? So it's a gift. Many people think that righteousness is something you achieve. Eh -eh. It's something you receive. It is a gift. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. And so he gives us righteousness. And he just does not give us random righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. That's, that's mind-blowing. That as flawed as we are, God's righteousness is in our spirits. It's a gift. So the Bible says, we have become the righteousness of God. Are you hear what I'm saying? So, when we look at God's righteousness, I don't have the time to show you. All of this is not even something I plan to say. When we look at God's righteousness and we look at our spirits, we'll see the same righteousness. God is so good. He's actually very good. He's a good God. And this is why we say he's our father. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what the Bible says. That as he is, when I look at his righteousness, and I look at the righteousness in my spirit, I realize that as he is, so am I. I have his DNA. I have his spirit. 
Do you get what I'm saying? And this is why we are called sons of God. Because what he has, he has given us. We got his DNA. We got his spirit. We have his righteousness. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? And so, we must look at ourselves through the lens of what God says about us. Because there is a tendency to consistently look at ourselves through what we want to do or what we have done for God or to God or against God. We have that tendency to always look at ourselves. I feel I didn't pray this week, even though you should pray. But condemn ourselves. I didn't live holy this week, even though you should. And condemn ourselves. We have a tendency to look at certain parameters and rate our lives by those parameters. But it is important that we look at ourselves only, only, solely through the lens of what he has done for us. The Bible says there is no single condemnation for the man in Christ. Romans 8.1. He says there is now therefore no condemnation. Do you get what I'm saying? But we must look at ourselves. The interesting thing is this. Oh my goodness. I've told you this, that growth is a gift. Spiritual growth is a gift, isn't it? He says, in Romans chapter 12, from verse 1, he says, don't conform to the ways of this world. And I'm about to establish something I've established multiple times. That many times with spirituality and the things about the kingdom of God, there is a substitution. Remember I talked about substitution last week. Substitution. So, for example, how do you grow spiritually? He says, there is down there for, no, Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Do not conform to the ways of this world. Right? You would think you say, make sure you do this, make sure you do that, make sure you do that, avoid this, embrace this. He says, don't conform to the ways of this world. He said, be transformed, meaning I've put in your spirit righteousness. How can you transform to be righteous in your experience, in your conduct? He said, be transformed by renewing your mind, meaning I must consistently see myself as the righteousness of God. I must see that I have the desire to do what is right. Now, not because I'm not struggling physically, to do what is right. Not because I feel like, oh, I just love to pray. I just love to read my Bible. I might not. I might actually enjoy doing the wrong things. But guess what? When I look at my spirit, I must see and I will see that God has put righteousness in me. The desire to love what is good and hate what is evil. It's the way a doctor can look at you. Take a sample from your blood, run a test, and say, you are not going home. We are going to admit you. You say, I'm okay. Oh, he say, you think you are okay. And a few hours down the line, you'll be down in sickness. So externally, everything looks okay, but internally, something is broken. Do you get what I'm saying? And then sometimes, you might feel weak. The doctor will say, just go and rest. You'll be fine. And you'll go home, you'll rest, and you realize you're fine. Because internally you were fine, even though externally it looked like you were not fine. So when God looks internally, he sees his spirits. 
that makes you love what is good. Even though you experience, you might be feeling, oh, I don't love what is good. Oh, I just keep struggling with this thing. I love the wrong things. I don't, I don't, I don't find reading my Bible exciting. I don't find praying exciting. It just looks like a necessary evil. Now, that's how you feel. But when we look at the spirits that God has given you, oh my goodness, it loves to fellowship with God. It loves to do what is right. So what does he tell you to do? He says the way that you will not conform to this world is that you are transformed by renewing your mind. Say renewing my mind. So you renew your mind. You begin to see yourself through the lens of what he has done. He says you will be transformed. Do you get what I'm saying? He says you will be transformed. Meaning you just realize that in your experience, you are now beginning to do the things that are right. Do you get what I'm saying? You now realize that you are now beginning to love the things that are right. Praise the name of the Lord. Say, God is my daddy. And so, because God is already your father, he has put his spirit in you. You have his DNA. Right? He loves you. What we're learning today is to rest in the father's provision. Say rest in the father's provision. That's what you ought to do. You know the way people that have sugar daddies rest in his provision. They spend money without consideration. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? How do you understand? <laughs> the rest in his provision. Now look at Luke chapter 12, verse 29 to 31. I'm going to run through all the things I have to do today because we're out of time. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right. It says, I want to highlight three things from this verse. It says, Let's read together, everybody want to go. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. He says, for all this donation of the world seek. He says, and your father knows that you have need of. He says, but seek the kingdom of God. He says, and all these things shall be added to you. Right? That's Luke 12 from verse 29 to verse 31. Three things I want to highlight here. The first one is that he tells you what not to do. He says, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have anxious mind. Tell your neighbor, do not seek what you should eat and do not be anxious. Say, relax. Don't be anxious. Turn to another neighbor, say, relax. Don't be anxious. Now, listen. Listen. He tells you what not to do. And he talks about practical issues. What am I going to eat today? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? How will I have a house to stay in? Things you actually need. Do you get what I'm saying? Things that usually will cause anxiety. 
And I like to say, it's very important that you identify the things that are causing anxiety to you. Maybe your health. Maybe a family member. Maybe a habit. Do you get what I'm saying? Maybe a project that you want to carry out. Maybe a career path. Maybe business. Do you get what I'm saying? Maybe relationship. Maybe you like somebody that does not like you. Or you're not sure the person likes you. But don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. I hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you do not need them. And if I'll go ahead of myself, at the end of verse 13, one, where we read, he says, all these things shall be added. So, in God's trajectory of how to meet those things, the first step is relax. Rest in the Father's love. And I've told you that one of the definitions of anxiety you know, that the Bible has, let me backtrack. The Bible, because I don't want you to be confused, the Bible is divided into Old Testament and, exactly, Old Testament and New Testament, right? And the division we have in our Bibles, you see Genesis to Malachi is what? Old Testament. And then Matthew to Revelation is? All right. And then those documents were originally written in a different language. They were not written in English. Jesus did not go about speaking English. He didn't even speak King James English. King James wasn't even born then. All right. The King James Bible you, many people use, was written in 1611. That's a long time ago. By that time, Jesus had died. He had moved on. Do you understand? Disciples had lived their life, they've died, they've moved on. That's when people now say, saying, thou shalt. So Genesis to Malachi was written in the Hebrew language. Right? Say Hebrew. All right. And then Matthew to Revelation was written in Greek. Say Greek. Exactly. Now, when you see the word, you know, take no thoughts for your life, or the cares of this world, right? Those words were originally written in Greek because I'm, I'm talking about the New Testament. And the word had a meaning. Do you get what I'm saying? The word had a meaning. The reason why I'm explaining it this way is because if you don't understand the actual meaning, if you don't understand what, Jesus, what the people Jesus was talking to, understood from what he said, you get into trouble. Do you get what I'm saying? Because the way words work is that language evolves and the meaning of words change. Do you get what I'm saying? So, I mean, when you see take no thoughts, you might not even necessarily understand what he's saying. Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly. Now, in, for example, and you know the way we use words, that I know how to use the word, but I don't know what it means. I can't, ex I can't explain it, but I know what it means. Exactly. That's how the word anxiety is. I feel like many of us know what anxiety is. But if I say, describe anxiety. What does it mean to be anxious? You say to be worried. What does it mean to be worried? You probably say to be troubled. What does it mean to be troubled? To be disturbed. Do you get what I'm saying? All right. Now, one of the, and in my opinion, one of the best definitions I saw for the word 
anxious or worried that I think can be practically applied is distracting thoughts. Say distracting thoughts. So if someone is in class and should be listening to the lecturer, but his mind is everywhere, he's distracted, he has distracting thoughts, you know, outside what he's being taught in class. Do you get what I'm saying? Which is what anxiety is. You're trying to sleep. You're trying to just be at rest. But your mind is distracted. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? That's what anxiety is. So, Jesus said, in the scripture we're reading, we said, he said you should, there are things not to do. He says, don't have distracting thoughts. Don't have thoughts flooding your mind. Distracting you. Thoughts concerning what you'd eat, concerning health, concerning business, concerning career. Do you get what I'm saying? So don't have distracting thoughts. And that implicitly means that there's something you're meant to be focusing on, and then the thought is trying to distract you. Do you get what I'm saying? And then he tells us what we should be focusing on. Because the first thing he tells us is, do not seek what you would eat. And then he went, so, went up to say, but seek, that's 31, but seek the kingdom of God. Meaning, there's something we're meant to be looking at. But all these other thoughts keep coming to our minds to distract us. Meaning, the key, listen, the key to having the things I'm actually disturbed about is actually to focus on the kingdom of God. He says, seek the kingdom of God. He says, and all these things will be added. And I can show you scripture upon scripture that the Father wants you to seek his kingdom, to rest in his provision. And as you rest in his provision, you experience the provision. Do you get what I'm saying? All right. So what is the kingdom of God? Of course, this same scripture was quoted in Matthew 6, 33, where he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, it says, and his righteousness, and it says, all these things shall be added unto you. Now listen, it's important to know that he says, seek first. Meaning, this is premium. Do you get what I'm saying? Not in the midst of all the things you're looking for, seek the kingdom of God. Uh-uh. Seek first. So I said there are three things we were taking from the first set of verses we read. And that is that there's what not to look for. Don't allow these thoughts preoccupy your mind. I know that they are important. I know that they are urgent. I know that they are their needs. But please, he says, put them aside. Then he says the second thing. This is what to seek the kingdom of God. Now, you can know this scripture. But you might not be practicing it if you don't even know what the kingdom of God is. What is the kingdom of God that I'm to be seeking? How am I to seek the kingdom of God? One thing is certain. He says, and all these things, and that's the final one, will be added. Meaning my responsibility is to make sure that when all these troublesome thoughts come, I push them aside. Now this is where the law of substitution works. Where... There is distracting thought. There's what I shouldn't be seeking. There's what I should be seeking. So I replace the distracting thoughts when I'm thinking, oh my God, how am I going to make that money? Oh my God, how am I going to do this? Oh my God, how am I going to be healed? I replace those thoughts with the thoughts 
of the kingdom. He says, don't do this. Ensure that you are preoccupied with thoughts of the kingdom. Now listen, remember that we are resting in the Father's provision. Meaning, again, the nasty example I've been using of the sugar daddy. He is the one that bankrolls your expenses. You are not the one that bankrolls your expenses. One of the things we want to learn today is to realize that God is my source. My job can be a vehicle. My, my parents might be a vehicle. My career might be a vehicle. But God is the ultimate source of my life. So that if I lose my job, my source has not been cut short. If, God forbid, I lose my parents, my source has not been cut short. No matter if the person that sends me money decides that he's not sending me again, guess what? My source has not been affected. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's a channel, but there's someone that sends that person, and that person is God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen, if you learn this one, you'll be having anxiety. Because if you're doing business and the customer says, I'm not going to buy from you again. I'm not going to patronize you again. You've done your best. Not all those nasty people that will behave anyhow. And then you say, I'm not buying from you again. Say, God will send somebody. No. Do you get what I'm saying? If they're downsizing people, you start losing breath. No. If whoever sends you money, whoever is partnering with you, says they are not doing again, you can rest knowing that the person wasn't the one bankrolling your life. The person was a channel, and we appreciate the person. Do you get what I'm saying? We appreciate the person. But we know who our true source is. Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly. What is the kingdom of God? Write this down. God's provision, sorry, God's promise of all things that pertain to life and godliness. I think that's a very brilliant definition by yours truly on what the kingdom of God is. God's promise of all things that pertain to life and godliness. Notice we said the kingdom of God is God's promise, not the reward. I hear what I'm saying? It's not the reward. Heavenly race, I know go tire. I'm trying to achieve it. No. It's God's promise of all things. Meaning God has promised you everything that pertains to life and godliness. Let me show you a scripture that shows you that, um, first of all, the kingdom of God is a promise. James chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, listen, beloved brethren. God has not chosen has God not chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised? The kingdom which he has promised. He said, has he not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and to be inheritors of the kingdom he promised? In fact, the fact that he says heir means that it's something to receive. Not something to work for. Right? You inherit it. So the kingdom is being inherited. So he says, heirs of the kingdom which he promised. 
Not just that he said he was going to give us, he promised it. Think about that. Think about it. So whatever is a benefit in the kingdom is a promised benefit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is beautiful. This is why we can rest in the Father's love. Because if provision is in the kingdom, it's a promised provision. It's not something I get because I work hard to get. It's something I get because he promised it. The kingdom of God is God's promise of all things that pertain to life and godliness. Look at this one. Luke chapter 12 verse 32. It says, oh my goodness, you will love this one. Luke chapter 12 verse 32. Is it projected? Alright, read together everybody want to go. Did you read that? You guys don't seem excited about this. He says, do not fear. Meaning, when you start hearing of the provision in the kingdom, don't say, hey, am I going to get it? Hope this is not just empty hype. He says, do not fear, little flock. He says, it is your father's good pleasure. It excites him. I told you, God is almost too good. It's flattering. It ex- it's your father's good pleasure. It pleases your father to give you the kingdom. Meaning, God is not giving you and he's watching you. And say, I'm seeing how you're using the thing I'm giving you. No, he's excited. It's his good pleasure. Many of you ladies have thought about it. When you have a daughter, how you take care of her, lavish her with love, buy her dresses, buy her things. And as she's using it, you're excited. You're not picturing that she's using it. I say, eh, 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 why are you using it? You're excited. You plan to be, you're already happy thinking about it. Can you imagine? So it's either you are better than God or God is better than you. It's either God will be excited to see that you are happy and enjoying the things he has provided for you. Or you are better than God and you'll be happy to see your daughter use the things you bought for her. Why God, the wicked person, will be angry. Why you just open your mouth, eat the provision I gave you. No. It says it's the father's pleasure. See, it's the father's pleasure. Meaning, he gives me the kingdom and he's excited about it. Now, think about the opposite of it. When we're growing up and our parents bought us clothes that they should have asked us the clothes we wanted before they bought. Because... (laughs) Some of those clothes are still your size, even though you were four when they bought it for you. And it has nothing to do with you not growing. You've been growing all your life. And they were angry that you were not using it. Imagine they bought clothes for you. You now exchange it with somebody's own. Do you get what I'm saying? So it doesn't bring them pleasure when you don't use it. God is not excited when you ignore the things he, 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 he gives you. You know, someone said, and rightfully so, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied. And that's the story of every dad. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied. I'm teaching you on resting in the Father's love. 
Now, Second Peter chapter one verse three says, "As his divine nature, sorry, as his divine power had given to us, had given to us, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given us everything for this life and everything that pertains to godliness. This is the kingdom of God. Do you get what I'm saying?" This is the kingdom of God, that God has given us everything that pertains to life and everything that pertains to godliness. Now, I want to start with a caveat. We're going to look at the promises of God as it pertains to provision very soon, right? That in his kingdom, one of the promises, one of the things we get is provision for our needs, um, I would have said wealth or riches, but some people actually don't like the term wealth and riches. And I understand why, right? Globally, when pastors talk about wealth, people just get uncomfortable. And honestly, they have legitimate reasons because, ah, people have seen things. Do you get what I'm saying? People have seen things. So, Let's start with provision. Let's, let's use the word provision. Now, but I, I said that I want to show you the provisions that God has in his word for your supplies, for your needs. But before we start, because, I mean, even without pastors pushing the teaching of wealth and all to the extreme, some people came with their own extreme teaching already. Do you get what I'm saying? They came with greed. I was initially going to title this sermon, How God Blesses Without Enabling Greed. Do you get what I'm saying? God doesn't enable greed. God doesn't enable greed. And one of the things you realize is that sometimes, remember we said, do not seek this. Seek the kingdom of God and these things will be added. Sometimes, when he says do not seek what you eat, what you drink, what he's saying is that you kill greed. Because some people, their obsession about money is too much. Do you get what I'm saying? When you ask them, why do you want to have money? You say, ah, so that people will know that I am who I am. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? So God wants to bless you without enabling greed. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. He talks about, the B part is where I want to read. He says, he starts by saying, useless wrangling of men of corrupt mind and destitute of truth. Who suppose that godliness is a means to gain? He says, from such do what? Exactly. I want you to think practically, and I hope you don't get confused. He says that some people say, that godliness, serving God, is the means to gain. And he says, withdraw yourself. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Some people preach that serving God is a means to gain. He says, from such, withdraw yourself. What it means is this. That teaching is different from seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. 
except he is saying that withdraw yourself from the teaching of Jesus. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul said some people suppose, teach, that serving God is, the, is, is, is a means to gain. And he said, from those people, withdraw yourself. Meaning, when I say, you, you know the funny thing? The Bible says you shall serve the Lord your God. He will bless your bread and your water. And take sickness away from you. Right? He will bless your bread. And he will bless your water. That teaching is different from a teaching that supposes that serving God is a means to gain. I don't have the time today to explain the difference. I'll try to do a little. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, when God, remember that the Bible says, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, right? And added no sorrow to it. So, apparently when God blesses, it enables you to be rich. Without adding sorrow. What, listen, the, I believe one of the primary differences, or primary difference between the teaching that supposes that serving God is a means to gain, and you shall seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added, is that one enables greed. The other stifles greed. When you are taught... That God is a means to gain. Greed will not be stifled in your life. Greed will be enabled. When you are taught properly to seek the kingdom of God, Jesus said material things will be added to you. This one will kill greed. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, if you are not properly taught, greed we kill the word of God. If you are properly taught, the word of God and doing the word will kill greed. Do you get what I'm saying? So, are you ready for it now? So as you advance in this teaching, we'll get to the parts where we will know whether you want to enable greed in your own life or you want to look at God's word and stifle greed in your life. Are we okay? Alright, so we've established that we're not teaching um, what people call the prosperity gospel. Jugets, that, that sees God as a means to gain. Do you get what I'm saying? And then enables greed. Matthew 13, I want to read verse 19 and 22. It says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so we're still in, on track, the word of the kingdom, Right? He says, and does not understand it. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. And he says, this is he who receives the seed on the way. So there's a story in the Bible. There's a parable in the Bible. about. It's called the parable of the sower. Jesus was the one that gave the parable. How many of you know the parable? Let me start from there. Alright? That the sower goes to sow the word. Do you get what I'm saying? And then he says that the word is the message about the kingdom. Now verse 22. Everybody. Read verse 22 together as loud as you can want to go. All right. A lot of things I can say about that verse, but we have to move on. He says, now he that received the seed on thorns. 
Because in the parable, they talked about someone, you know, a, sower, a, a farmer going to sow seed. Some will fall on the way as it's going. Some will fall, you know, among rocks. Some will fall on the, on the soil, but the soil has thorns. And some will fall on the very good soil. And he said the seed is the word, the preaching about the kingdom of God. Now, in verse 23, he says, Now he that received the seed among thorns, right? So in the parable, there's someone that received the seed among thorns. Is he that hears the word. But the cares, distracting thoughts of this world. Do you get what I'm saying? The distracting thoughts, thoughts of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So apparently, your consistent worrying can choke all the messages you are hearing so that they are not fruitful in your life. I've told you many times that worry is not neutral. It's not that whether I worry, I don't worry. It's the same thing. Eh, eh. I've told you the word cares here means distracting thoughts. They can stifle the word of God, making it unfruitful. And then the deceitfulness of riches. So whether you are, you know, needing money and see yourself as lacking money and you're concerned about your necessities, it can stifle the word of God. Now, maybe you are comfortable and you don't see a need for God or your commitment to the things of God or seeking the kingdom of God. It also stifles the word of God. Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly. So, when you are meant to be focusing on God's word, distracting thoughts or the deceitfulness of riches can choke the word. However, what you are meant to do is this. I told you, you are meant to focus on God's word. You are meant to focus on the promises of the kingdom. That's how to seek the kingdom of God. Do you get what I'm saying? That's how to seek the kingdom of God. That you focus in the midst of distraction. Let me show you something. James chapter 1 verse 25. It says, But he who looks at the perfect law of liberty, talking about the word of God, he says, and continues in it, he not being a forgetful hearer, but do all the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. James 1.25, read together, everybody want to go. Alright, so let me explain something to you from this verse. I need someone to use as illustration. Who is going to come out for illustration this morning? Who wants me to use them? I don't want to use you. Who else? You're on the camera, I don't want to use you. Divine, come. <laughs> All right. Now, he says, but he who looks at the perfect law of liberty, he says, come, put your hands together for him. He wanted you to clap before he comes. Too fresh. All right. He says, um, he looks at the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. He not begin to forget for here, but do of the word. He says he shall be blessed. What he's saying is this. Remember we said, they are distracting thoughts, isn't it? And then he says, look at the perfect law of liberty. He says, and continues. Not beginning forgetful here. Don't forget those words. You're looking at them. Don't get distracted. You're looking at the word of God. You're looking at the promises of the kingdom of God. You are not a forgetful here. You remember. Do you get what I'm saying? You continue in it. He says you will be blessed. Now here's the interesting thing. When you say he that looketh at, 
The word in the Greek translated for that is a very deep word. It, it's, it's deep concentration. Now, remember he said, um, and there's a parable in the Bible that talks about the kingdom of God as a monster seed. Very tiny. If you drop it here, you will not find it. Right? Now, the word you look, look at, at the perfect law of liberty means that you are staring at it. You're paying so much attention. You're trying to see it. And it's something you cannot bring close to yourself to see. So you have to bend to see. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's probably very tiny like monster seed. And if I'm going to see it, I'm going to have to keep my gaze. You know those things that if you, if you blink small, ah, you can't see it again. That they look, it's so, it's, so, it's so, you know, fragile, so tiny. That you have to keep your gaze, keep your eyes open, look at it. And the word actually means you have to bend down just to be able to get a grip of it very well. Just to be able to see it very well. That's the amount of focus he's saying. Now what you're going to do is you're going to be waving and trying to get my attention. Is that okay? Alright, so this is me trying to look at the perfect law of liberty. And then these are the cares of the world. Trying to get my attention. Trying to get, use your two hands. Trying to get my attention. Then another thing is coming. Exactly. Thank you. Put your hands together for him, please. That's what you're meant to do with God's word. People of God, please listen. You are meant to have that kind of focus. Meaning, you bend down. You're looking at it. The cares, the worry, bills, they are coming. It looks like you're, doing, you're not doing anything. It looks like inactivity. You're not doing anything. You're just there. You're just there. Close your eyes, thinking. I just, you know, saying God's word to yourself. So the worries are coming. The pressure is coming. The deadline is coming. But you bend down. You look at it. You stay on it. As you look at it, that's where your miracle is. All the hustle going up and down is not going to cut it. He that looketh at the perfect law of liberty, he locks his focus on it. When he looks at the promise of God concerning the kingdom of God, those promises, he locks his attention. When the worry about the money, how am I going to get the money comes, he shuts it out by locking his focus, thinking and thinking and thinking, meditating day and night. Nothing can grip his focus that is locked on that promise of God. So you keep it. Now when you keep your focus, that's seeking the kingdom of God. When you lock your focus that way, God assures you that every other thing will be added. That when I lock my focus on his promises, now let me show you scriptures that say this. And I want to look at scriptures that reveal God's promises to you. These are scriptures I want you to meditate on all through the week. I want you to lock your focus on. Before you run and say, I want to go and pray, God provide. He says, Philippians, um, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Meaning put away anxiety. And we say we put away anxiety by locking our focus. It's a distracting thought. No, this is the thought I should be looking at, not this one. 
So, the, how will I not be anxious? Anxious means I'm looking at distracting thought, I'm following it. So, I'm not anxious because I lock my focus. When you are, now ang- when you are not anxious for anything, then with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, you make your request known to God. Did you hear what I said? I lock, it's not just, I just think about the, oh, so the Bible said, eh, eh. There is, there is, there's a search. You are, you are absorbing something from God's word. You are allowing light enter you. You are meditating on it. You are picturing what it can look like. He told Abraham, he says, come out, look at the stars. He says, so shall your seed be. Create a picture. The reason why I'm saying this is this. The Lord has begun impressing it in my heart that for many of us, the scope of our expectation has remained small. We've cut it down. We've chopped it, you know, slim-fitted. It is now cute. You only expect the money that your pocket money affords every month. That's all you think will come every month. What your salary says, what your business says, so everything has been brought down towards this thing can accommodate. You are not expecting more. You are not expecting more. Because you are thinking, who will, who, will, who will come and send money to me by? You know, that's how Abraham was. He looked at the deadness of his body. He looked at the deadness of Sarah's womb. But God said, no, if you keep looking that direction, you are not going to get anything. So let's lock our focus on something else. Lock your focus on the stars. Count them. He says, I'll give you children. He could have said, I'll give you many children. Ah, many. You won't even believe it. Many. He says, like the sand of the seashore. He created a picture in his mind. So what's the picture that you're expecting? This is why many of us have not done anything. You've not done the business because you looked at the money that has come in every month and you feel, so how can I buy the equipment? How can I buy the this? How can I meet the this? If demand comes, how can I supply? You've, you want to invest in maybe a business. Say, ah, I don't have the money. You've not opened up yourself for more to come in. I hear what I'm saying? So you are just, you are, your calculation is, okay, maybe I'll now get this job. Okay, so I'll now try to get this job. No. Lock, before you do all those things, lock your focus. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. The story of the multiplication of bread that Jesus um, did. How many of you know that story? Let me start from there. Multiplied bread. Do you know that in that story, there was no time in that story that Jesus had bread in his hand that could feed 5,000. She always had just within the limit of five loaves and two fish that he was breaking out of and giving. It wasn't like God multiplied the bread, then Jesus started giving. Uh-uh. He was breaking out of. So when you see the account of Jesus, there was no time there was a money that was sufficient to feed 5,000 men. But he always withdrew, I'll go and feed. Then they come back, we need more. Then he would withdraw, go and give them. Then they'll come back. So at no time did he have the full money 
but he was giving the little. And then more was coming. Little. More was co- this is why some of you have not done anything. You're waiting for the full money for the business to come. Uh-uh. You prayed for 500k. He sent 5,000. You start. Then another 5,000 will come. You move. There'll be, there might be no time when you just look at your account and say, ah, see 500k. But by giving. Now, you will not have known that there was possibility in five loaves to feed 5,000 if you didn't break and send. Break and send. Break and send. So if you don't start and you are just where you are, waiting, nothing is going to move. Now, for some people, it will just multiply. But for some people, you have to jo- It's like the same story. Um, issue, um, experience with the woman that had the oil. You just give, say, go and borrow vessels and start pouring. It's not like she just see the, saw the, her pot of oil overflowing, overflowing, overflowing. And she's like, oh, I need containers, I need containers. Oh, fetch, 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 fetch. More, go and get more. No. She just had her container. Borrowed vessels started pouring. Started pouring. Started pouring. Oh, we need this for the project. Okay, take this. Oh, we need this for the project. Take this. Her account never looked like it was buoyant. But when she was done with the project, oil was everywhere. So, start. Start. Are you hear what I'm saying? Just lock your focus on the promise of God. Lock your, lock your focus. Don't say, ah, what is this amongst many people? You know, that's what um, Philip said when he brought the bread. So we just have five loaves and two fish. What is this among many people? No, don't think like that. Start. Start, motive, start giving out. Are you hear what I'm saying? So here are God's promises that I want you to lock your focus on. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Are you there? Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. Are you there? Let's read together. I want to go. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you power to... So, remember, he said, you shall remember. Remember, we talked about remembering, right? Not being a forgetful hearer, right? You shall remember the Lord your God. You shall remember the Lord your God. Don't forget him, oh. Don't think your source is now the business. I hear what I'm saying. Don't think your source is now the investor. No. It is always the Lord. In teaching concerning righteousness, Paul said in Galatians, he says, you started by the Spirit. Why do you think you'll be made perfect in the flesh? You started by trusting God for righteousness. Why do you think you'll be established in righteousness by what you do? Because these are provisions in the kingdom. Now, listen. I said that the kingdom of God is the promises pertaining life and godliness. All I'm explaining today is an aspect of the kingdom that has to do with provision. Are you hear what I'm saying? I'm not explaining this full scope and all the benefits in the kingdom. I'm narrowing down to provision. Is that okay? All right. So he said you shall remember the Lord your God. 
And this is so powerful because these guys had come from Egypt and God had provided for them before. But it's possible to forget. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's possible to forget. And that's where many of us are. God has provided for you before. He has come true for you before. It can be small. It can be someone just giving you a lift when you are stranded. But you knew it was God that came through. Remember, remember, remember. Don't forget it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't forget it. Don't forget it. It says you shall remember the Lord your God. Sometimes the, the, the blessings that God gives us are natural. They seem natural. The fact that, oh, your parents give you money. Seems like it's natural. The fact that rain falls seems like it's natural. But the Bible makes us to know, in Matthew 5, 45, that God causes his rain to fall on the good and the evil. So, that even if you don't have anything that looks like a spectacular hand of God in your life, realize that all the money that has come to your hand, your source is God. He has used different people as vehicle. Some of them are parents. Some of them are loved ones. Some of them are partners. Some of them are investors. Do you get what I'm saying? But your source was God. In the natural, when we look at it, it doesn't look like it's God. It looks like he's not this person that worked for the money. He did this business. He was paid. The person was decided, you know, you are my son. Take your own portion. Or I did business. I researched. I did everything I needed to do. I made profits. And then I took my pay out of it. Natural. But you must see the hand of God in all of those natural things. Sometimes the hand of God is not in a supernatural, spectacular way. God makes his rain to fall. You would have thought there was a the hand of God. I mean, I, I, I planted, I watered it, I had good seed, fertilizer, and it grew. I mean, I did my own. There's my neighbor that was unserious, and he was not blessed. So you might not see the hand of God in it, but I'm telling you that if, you've, if money has ever touched your hand, and use it to do something for yourself, whether somebody borrowed you, somebody dashed you, or it was a profit from a business, realize that God was the source. It means that God has always been my source even before I knew. I hear what I'm saying? Exactly. And then if it's something that you see as maybe small, you know, I was stranded somewhere and someone just stopped, you know, and gave me a lift, it's the hand of God. He says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is him that gives you the ability to make wealth, to produce wealth. I hear what I'm saying. So if you think, oh, I don't know this business, can I do it? Honestly, to myself, can, can I really do this business? He gives me the ability to produce wealth. Everything I need, the wisdom I need, the connection I need, the opportunities I need, he has given me the ability. Now, this is meditation. I hear what I'm saying? This is meditation. You are focusing on it. It's becoming clearer to you. Every other thing is fading away, and this is becoming clearer. So that's, FM, that's um, Deuteronomy 5, M8, 18. Another one, Deuteronomy 28, 11, and 12. I'm going to just run through them. I'm out of time. All right? He says, The Lord would grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body. That's health. Say it loud, amen. amen. 
He says, in the increase of your livestock, that's your business. He says, and in the produce of your ground, and in the land in which the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give you. Now, I want you to look at this one because it helps you see that God did not just speak to some people. He said, you, I'll make you prosperous. You, I'll make you broke. You, I'll make you average. He says, he was talking to the Israelites, the Jews, right? And the Bible says we are the Israel of God. He says, the Lord will grant you plenteous goods and in the fruit of your body and in the increase of your livestock and the produce of your ground. He says, in the land which God swore, promise your fathers meaning he looks at all of them and said what i promised your fathers i will give you people too did you get what i'm saying he said i'll give you he said the lord will open to you the good treasures the heavens to give rain do you understand to your land in its season so those are opportunities for business do you get what i'm saying he says, and to bless all the work of your hand. Now, this is him talking. He says, to bless all the work of your hand. He says, and you shall. So you will grow to be lending to nations, and you will not borrow. These are scriptures to meditate on. Even 13 and 14 of the same Deuteronomy 28. He says, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. He says, you shall be above only and not beneath. He says, if you heed to the commandment of the law, Right, your God, which I command you these days. This is this is the kingdom of God, focusing on the kingdom of God. Johnson, he said to be careful to observe them. Right? He says, So you shall not turn aside from one of this world to another. Do you get what I'm saying? So those are the distractions. He says, which I command you to do, either to the right or to the left, and then to serve other gods. Talk, talking about greed and all of that stuff. Do you get what I'm saying? So you are not turning to the, the side, allowing the cares of this world, greed, and all of those things. You are focusing on his promises. Are you what I'm saying? Now let me say this also. Please pay attention. When God begins to do these things to you, for some people, results will come huge. Some people, it will come in trickles. But if you continue to grow, and this has usually been the challenge, that people practice some of these things, and maybe once they saw something, but after a while they stopped practicing it, because I was expecting 500,000, and I started practicing the things I'm learning. I saw 5K, I saw 10K, I saw 20K, but I didn't see anything again, and then you stop. He says, don't turn from it. You must continue to look at it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Whether it's producing or it's not producing, it's his instruction. He gives you an assurance that it will happen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? At Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, it says, The Lord will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what had just happened here. In verse 18, those in Philippi, right, had just given. So they sent things to Paul. Giving, isn't it? Giving, isn't it? He now says, on account of that, my God will supply all your needs. It's same thing as seeking the kingdom of God. All these things will be added. Why are they giving to Paul? Why are they giving? The essence of giving is that I appreciate I believe that God is my source. 
it came from him that's my thank you I hear what I'm saying that's my thank you I can give him because he was the one that gave me I hear what I'm saying I can give him because he was the one that gave me that's number one number two I give back to God because I want to direct my heart towards God meaning if I say that I'm seeking the kingdom of God the way we know is that my money goes to the kingdom of God do you get what I'm saying now in and this would sound very scandalous but God said it so I'm going to, we're going to look at it from the Bible God in men, you know the Bible says God looks at the heart, right? Looks at the heart. Say, ah, your heart is with me. Ah, your heart is not with me. Oh, your heart is with me. When it comes to money, you know where he looks at? He looks at where you put the money. That's where he knows where your heart is. He doesn't look at your heart and say, oh, your heart is with me. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, where your treasure is, is where your heart is. So when God wants to know where your heart is, so I'm seeking the Lord with all my heart. I'm seeking the kingdom with all my heart. Do you know how God knows? He knows where your heart is, where he sees, where your treasure is. So when we say seek the kingdom of God, one is I'm focusing on the promises. But how do I direct my heart to the promises? I put my treasure in the promises. I put my treasure in the kingdom of God. He says where your treasure is, your heart will follow your treasure to that place it means i can determine the destiny of my heart by channeling my my, my resources there do you get what i'm saying this is why i said the teaching concerning seeking the kingdom of god first and having provision being added stifles greed because when you are greedy you will not want to give i hear what i'm saying so i give to direct my heart i give to circumcise my heart to kill greed I give to direct my heart. I don't allow my heart to go anywhere it wants to go to. There's something that happens to you when you begin to say tithe, for example. Some, that thing, that pain, that discomfort you feel inside of you is greed dying. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm going to just read scriptures and move on. Alright? Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possession. He says, and with the first fruit of all your increase, so your barn will be filled with plenty. It's the same thing I'm teaching. That you are focusing on the kingdom of God. You are looking at the promises. But you know how your heart moves. Your heart goes to the direction of where your treasure is. So I honor the Lord with my treasure. Right? And so in that, I'm seeking the kingdom of God. I'm thankful because you are my source. It may be 5K, but you are my source. Thank you for bringing it. And through this, let your kingdom be advanced. It will pain me. Do you get what I'm saying? But as I'm doing that, number one, I'm seeking his kingdom. And then he categorically tells you that so your barn will be filled with plenty. It's the same teaching. Do you get what I'm saying? It's the same teaching. Malachi chapter 3 verse 11 and 12. Bring all your tithe to the storehouse that they may be food in my house. He says, and try me now, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. He, that's what he's saying. Bring your tithe to the storehouse. Do you get what I'm saying? By where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. 
You can't say I seek the kingdom of God, your treasure is not in the kingdom of God. No. Now, what happens is this. So, this, by doing that, I'm focusing on the kingdom of God. Oh, the money is small. The money is plenty. Some people say, you know, when I have a lot, I will give. No. Seek him where you are. You gave me this one. I'm not going to say what is this among many people. Do you get what I'm saying? I appreciate you because the reason why I have this, even if I worked for it, even if my parents sent it to me, even if it was anything, you are my source. Thank you. Do you get what I'm saying? Thank you. Because if you did not give me, I will not have. Do you get what I'm saying? He says, as you do that, he says, I will open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that you now have room enough to receive. So the supply is always more than your demand. That's what he did with five loaves. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall your vine bear, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruits, says the Lord of hosts. So this is how you rest in the Father's love. You look at the promises and you appreciate him with your resources. Did you get? You lock your focus on the promises and you make sure that your heart is directed towards his kingdom. And you give, you tithe to advance the kingdom of God. You tithe to thank him. This is why when we pray for the tithe, we say we recognize that you are our source. Right? And our job is a vehicle. So, you are my source. It came for you, from you. Thank you. Do you get what I'm saying? So my focus is not on this money. Is it enough? And all of those worries. Eh, eh, eh. Focus. He says, when you do that, I will add. If it takes three days, if it takes 30 days, if it takes 30 years, I'm not bothered. It's the promises of God. He's, you know what he says in Malachi? He says, prove me now. Right? He says, and try me now, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven. It's the same thing. It's not anything mystical. We've told you it's a promise. It's He swore about it. That's the same thing he's saying here. All of them are the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Have you been blessed this morning? Please rise up on your feet.